over 30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. Ho, 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 and welcome back to Rosie on the House. It is the holiday edition. We were talking last hour about all the things we try and do over the years to become every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And one of those things are the calendars. Which you don't need to let us know you haven't got yours. Don't worry, we haven't got ours either. They have been sent in the mail. We're all on the mailing list, so we know when they get delivered. Uh, they had a, a, we didn't know this, but the Postal Service had a pause on bulk mailings. They were sitting in some truck semi for a while, and they should be going out. So don't worry. They Postal Service has them. When they do their job, you'll get your calendar. We've taken it as far as we can. The Postal Service is obviously getting hammered. I went to three different substations over the course of last week just to buy stamps. All their stamp machines were empty. <laughs> so they're they're getting hammered. But we did we did mail thousands of calendars. And like I said, we even mailed them to ourselves to make sure they would go out. Well, we haven't got our own calendar yet. <laughs> and it's funny, even last year, my calendar came to my P.O. box like a week before it came to my street address. So even even on last year's, there was a, an, <clears throat> a separation. So it, it, it'll get there. Don't worry. It's, it's coming, y'all. It's coming. <laughs> so one of the other things we do uh, in these holiday broadcasts is we look back on the year and we take a look at the things y'all were reaching out to us about. And one of the things we do uh, is publish a weekly blog uh, that you can follow if you have a calendar of what's coming up. And some of these were really peculiar for a home improvement show and a home repair show. uh, Three of the top five had to do with plants. And these basically this, basically how to get rid of plants, which I'm an expert at. <laughs> the majority of our blog readers are people that subscribe to our newsletter. So this is the top five articles that you know our our closest followers uh, pick. So it's it's it is very interesting to see to see the results. And from number one to number fifteen, I mean, it's a huge margin. It's not it like is. this was number one by. A, uh, you know, a split of a second. No, I mean these were by big margins. The the number one blog page view we had was how to control plants that are out of control, and we talk about that sisu tree. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Come comes up often, and it never creates a problem until you try and get rid of it. That's until right. then, it's fine. That's right. And explain that if you've got it, never get rid of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, explain that to me. You cut the tree down, and then all the roots think they go into survival mode. Is that the key? And it sends up thousands of shoots all over the property. And I mean, you short of excavating down eight inches, taking the no one has a great everything. You know, one size fits all answer other than just don't cut down the sisu if you've already got it planted. Leave it alone. Learn to love it. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, the other plant we talk about in that blog is the cat claw. Now, I've tried to get rid of cat claw in one corner of our property for about 20 years. <laughs> it's persistent. 
It's and, really persistent. Those and, little roots go down and they make little egg balls down there about eight inches deep. And if you don't get every one of those out, it resprouts. And that's a great vine for the right application. But yeah, it if is. you don't want it there, uh, it's that dynamite. <laughs> I, I I like some of it. Uh, it's it's a great quail feed. Quail love eating it. So I love it back there on the wash where the quail can kind of dine and talk to me in the morning when I'm on the back patio. Uh, and then the oleander um, um, uh, leaf scorch uh, that hit Maricopa County so hard was another thing. A plant out of control. And that was out of control from disease. Oh, that man. Hit. And a lot of central Phoenix area, the oleander hedges just got destroyed. What, what were green, lush, thick, gorgeous hedges became firewalls <laughs> I, I mean they just became major fire hazards like one giant stack of kindling wood all put along the property edge so that is the number one blog that we've addressed last year and we put a blog together with these top five so you can go to rosieonthehouse.com right. select our blog and then get the quick link to all these top five that we'll cover so you don't have to scroll through the last 52 of the year to find these individually. And the the second most viewed blog is the toughest stuff to grow in Arizona. And it always amused me all the years we did the garden show with John J. Harper. He would always say, you can't, every time he would say, you can't grow that in Arizona. Somebody would walk in the nursery Monday morning with with that and say, look, I got it. I got it. But it's always to to what success. Uh, oh, man. You know, could an avocado tree grow here? Okay, how many avocados is it producing? Are you getting one? You know, that's a lot of water for one avocado, whereas, you you know, citrus are far more successful. And, you know, we're just not quite the right temperature, temperature zone for avocado. And, and still people try and and grow those. And you may get, like I said, you may get one here or there. But, I mean... That, that's the most expensive avocado avocado in the world, probably. Yeah. The amount of water and time and effort putting in and making the right microclimate and getting such small produce off of it. It's just, you know, it, it, you got to really want that avocado, I guess. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you, um, since I've taken up more time out in our, our garden at the house, I've become a much smarter gardener. When you start journaling, what do you plant? that grows and produces fruit without having to go out there and codgel it and nurse it and and talk to it and sing to it man i'm i've got a whole list of things that will go in my garden now and i've got another whole list of things i don't even try anymore it's just not worth the effort well and the ones that are successful you've got to enjoy eating them i'm i'm not a big zucchini fan but man that's one plant that you can have extreme success with so we've we always had that zucchini plant so the kids you know get excited and all oh, the yeah. success but we, we hardly eat zucchini <laughs> I, I became a big fan of mel bartholomew's shrimp zucchini and shrimp eggplant that, that's i could eat it like that anytime so that's but in the tropical fruits people not only want to know about avocados but hey i want to do a papaya or a mango or banana as soon as we go on air and say, that's easy, let's do it, 
that we're going to get a thousand people upset with us that they try it and can't do it. But it, it's creating that microclimate. And we even have a, a, a nursery at one time here in the Maricopa County that specialized in nothing but tropical fruit trees. And I think they're still on Apache Junction, Tropic Mango. Oh, I'll really? have to look that up in the break. But yeah, I think they're still out on Apache Trail okay. uh, and Apache Junction. Another popular blog, Saguaro Cactus. Now, the, the majestic Saguaro Cactus. And people want to know all about the Saguaro Cactus. What do I need to know about a Saguaro Cactus? And it generally has to do with, can I relocate it? Can I harvest one? Can I plant one? And the interesting thing that they learned early on in transplanting Saguaros is that you need to mark its orientation in its original location as to which side faces north and south. And it must be planted in that same orientation in its new location to greatly increase the probability of that plant surviving. And who wouldn't want a big, majestic saguaro cactus in and about around their property front or backyard? So those are some of the landscaping topics that we've covered this past year that got a lot of feedback. And the landscape, when you see saguaros grow naturally, it's funny how you get into the flats and you don't see them very often. You can go miles on the flat ground and not see them. And as soon as there's the tiniest little bit of upcropping, some kind of little hill or a mountain, <laughs> they just start appearing. And... You know, it, it's some, you really realize how many you have when after the <clears throat> Cave Creek Complex fire, you thought, man, we lost all our saguaros. Then this one up here that took out four peaks this bushfire this summer. I mean, you go through there and you're like, gosh, there's, oh, we're not going to have any saguaros left. They keep burning up, but and there's still thousands of them out there when you keep driving around. That, that fire was really, particularly heartbreaking because you drive from Saguaro Lake to Payson and you must drive by a million burnt saguaros yeah. i mean two hundred forty thousand acres yeah heartbreaking mm. that's for sure the majestic saguaro the favorite fruit of the white winged dove what what better arizona highway picture is there than that white winged dove sitting on top of saguaro cactus dining on one of those white saguaro cactus blossoms i love it i love it which is a state flower that's right Absolutely is. If you're new to Arizona, our flower grows from a cactus. It does. Arizona highways, have you seen the bobcats that get on top of those? Y yes. Oh, the, I, don't, I still want to know how they do that uh, without getting you know, spiked. That's a, that, that, I don't know. I don't know. And then, and then even this year, Arizona highways and Arizona Game and Fish documented a bald eagle nest in a giant saguaro cactus. It, they've actually had photographs of it. They, it was reported as being seen back in the early 20th century, early 1900s, but it hadn't been documented photographically uh, anytime recently. But they did get pictures of one somewhere in Gila County, a giant bald eagle nest atop a multi-armed giant saguaro cactus. Absolutely magnificent. And it's not uncommon to see owls, but for the big, uh, the bald eagle, that was what was significant about that. And yes, Tropic Mango is on Apache Trail, tropicmangonursery.com, and they sell all kinds of rare fruits from around the world.
here at Rosie on the House is we're here to protect, inform, and entertain our Arizona homeowners for the purpose of becoming your best friend. We're reviewing this hour the topics y'all most often reached out to us in this past year, wanting to know more information about. What what caught your eye, Romy, when you're looking over this list? Well, my favorite in the top 15 was number seven, where does Arizona get its power? Just because the more research you do on that, you just realize how fascinating the utility industry is and how unique Arizona is. And it was just you know, one one thing after another that you, you had no idea and, and you oh. learned. And I mean, just, just the massive amount of data that you had to absorb. And, and even still, just when you're standing inside the dome at Palo Verde Nuclear Power Plant, there's, you know, you just, you could point at one thing. What's that? I have no idea. I mean, there, there's so much to it. It's very simple how it all works when they draw it on a on a you know their graph on here's how the power but i mean to go into each one of these individual stations and the thousands of details that it takes for every single step along the way and and the amount of water it takes to generate electricity the 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 relationship with electricity and water was probably the most fascinating to me even and especially in you you think of hydroelectric yeah sure you know you build the dam and you get those turbines, sir. Yeah, it does take a lot of water. I don't think a lot of people realize how much water it takes to run a nuclear power plant. Nuclear <laughs> or coal or, you know, it, all these power generation stations, they're just steaming water. And the steam spins the turbines and the turbines generate the electricity. It's just what heat source are you using? Are you using uh, coal? Well, well, I know one coal station that's not. But Oh, did you see that video? <laughs> no, Speaking of current events. I, I heard y'all talking about just, it, but I didn't see just it. Just <laughs> last week, they blew all three towers up at the coal plant on the Navajo Indian Reservation. Yeah, pretty cool video. And that's the plant that used to, and speaking of water and electricity, get this, that plant used to supply electricity to the Mark Wilmer pumping station. That's at, right. At CAP that pumps all the water out of the Colorado River and starts the, the canal system. So that use, the, the, the main source of, or the main purpose of that uh, power plant was to pump water. <laughs> At the CAP. Yeah. Out of the Colorado River. And a lot of that water eventually ends up getting used at Palo Verde because all, a lot of the wastewater from Phoenix, Mesa, Scottsdale, I don't remember all the cities, but not all of them, send their water after it's been treated out to Palo Verde and all the water that is power that, that Palo Verde uses is not all of it, but a lot of it's reclaimed wastewater from Metro Phoenix area. It's a small <laughs> army at Palo Verde nuclear power plant whose job assignment is water maintenance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, it's a, that's it, a whole it, division. It, of it's it. a whole division. It's a water treatment. Yeah, it is <laughs> it, very interesting. So we do have Palo Verde. We have coal fired plants. We've got natural gas fired plants. We're actually experimenting with a couple uh, newer styles where on the far west valley, they're actually incinerating uh, rubbish at, at, at temperatures that get so high, they're actually beginning to generate electricity with that. How, how would you like to turn a whole landfill into a city's worth of electricity? Man, that, that kind of ingenuity just is spectacular. That just absolutely 
thrills me to death. And you know another funny thing that I, you never think about this, but the utility grid is reliant on the utility grid. Like, oh, yeah. Palo Verde pays for its power to turn the lights on to generate the electricity. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah you, right. You, right. You got to have a, another source of of energy just to turn on the power plant to start generating electricity. So they pay a power bill just like everyone, every other business and home in Arizona. Palo Verde pays a power bill. <laughs> and then we have the massive intrusion of solar, both commercially and individually, singly on residences throughout the state. That's made huge inroads in the last decade. Solar's been a big part of, and, and will be a growing part. And, and why not? We've got a lot of sun out here. Why not? And then when? Uh, we got a little wind up at Williams Way. If you've noticed all of the parts to the wind turbines going up 60, they it's it's hard to see them in transit because they're so big. Most of it gets moved at night when traffic's low. But you'll see it along the day in different spots along the 60 going up to 93 is just where they've parked because that's as far as they made it till um, before the, the, the traffic in the morning kicked up and they had to pull over and wait. So a big, big wooden operation going into Williams. And I know Tucson Power and Electric, they have a lot of their, I can't remember the exact number, but they're switching a number of their electric source to wind power. But it's not local. It's all coming from a wind farm in New Mexico. And there's some big ones in New Mexico. And, and of course, you've all seen the ones in California on your way to the coast. You know, have you seen the one on 40 in Texas? I mean, as soon as you cross no. from New Mexico into Texas. And we did it at night. And on top of them, there's red beacons. And for from the, the border of Texas to Amarillo, it was just blinking red lights for 60 miles. Wow. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many thousands of them are on that stretch. Well... It's a it's a it's a interesting study on where electricity comes from, and like you say, it's very closely connected to how where, where water comes from and how we manage it, and we have to kind of take our hats and tip our hats to the Arizona early pioneers for establishing the water and the power system that we have today. All back to my house, Rosie on the House, for the holiday edition of Rosie on the House. Glad you're tuned in. Hope you had a blessed Christmas morning and a Hanukkah celebration. And a Happy New Year. By the time we broadcast again, it will be in 2021. (laughs) I don't don't think anybody's going to shed any tears seeing 2020 going the go in the history books that's for sure man it may be a year that history books skip over too oh man oh man well it was certainly certainly one to experience that's for sure we're talking right now in this hour about the things you arizona homeowners reach out to us at rosie on the house asking about and we've talked about our most popular blogs of the year plants that are out of control, the toughest stuff to grow in Arizona, all about saguaros. Where does the electricity come from 
in Arizona. We're also asked all the time, when's Arizona going to run out of water? But that's another whole issue, <laughs> which we could, you know, that's a whole show right there. But one of the, one of the blogs that uh, I think people need to hear right now because of the dynamic real estate market is what are the five things or what are the most important things to do to update my house? And I'm old enough uh, that I've seen both sides of this coin. When sunken living rooms first got introduced into the market in the late 60s, early 70s, Romy, when you wanted a sunken living room, we charged you extra for that. To build it. Yeah, to sink the living room. Yeah, that was yeah. A, that was an upgrade. Well, it's extra, extra excavation, extra time, extra forms. But we didn't charge near as much as we're making now, filling in all those fucking <laughs> living rooms. <laughs> uh, everybody wants to get rid of their sunken living room, and for good reason. I mean, so what was the thought in in, in having them sunken to begin with, anyway? Uh, we'd have to ask Gary, but Gary, there was a there was a 007 James Bond movie where it was a multi-level house that had a sunken living right. room. You're right. I can't that, think of the movie that, right that, offhand. But that Sean Connery was... played smoochy face in the sunken living room, and at that point, sunken oh. living rooms took off, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and you had a lot of 60s movies that had used that same type of set. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was the 60s. It was. It was that um, mid-century Marvel or maybe we should call it mid-century mystery. <laughs> but people don't realize when they call us and say, we'd like to fill in this living room. A lot of people say, will you, will you just use two-by-eights and rip them down and cover it? And that is, the, that is absolutely definitely the wrong way to get rid of your sunken living room. You're putting wood down below grade in a condition that's extremely conducive for termite infestation. The right way to fill in a sunken living room is we actually have to go in there and if there are some furring strips that go down to the lower level, if there is drywall, if there is baseboard, if there is insulation, we have to cut all of that up above the new floor level. Get anything like that above grade. And then we have to raise all the electrical receptacles. You. You know, if your if your living room is sunk eight inches, then your receptacles are at twelve inches above the floor. You fill them up. Your receptacles now are going to be four inches above the floor, and they're going to be right in the middle of your baseboard. So we try and get all those electrical receptacles raised back up. So you've got electric, you've got some carpentry. Then we generally recommend people look if we're going to fill it, why don't we drill this slab real well right now, and Super saturate it with some termiticide, and then we never have to worry about drilling through eight inches or 12 inches of concrete to treat it should we have a problem in the future. So we're going to termite treat it. We're going to get any um, compo- anything that will um, decompose up above the floor level. We're going to put in some ABC fill, and then we're going to put in rebar ties to the existing slab and then we're going to pour generally speaking at least a 3500 or 4000 psi concrete slab and it's going to take a long time to cure inside your house Uh, 
and I say cure, that's not the technical term for concrete. But when we do it inside a house, the water can't go anywhere, any direction except up. It has to evaporate. It can't go down because it's going to meet a concrete slab and just stop. So it takes a long time. And we put dehumidifiers in the house, try and suck the moisture out as quick as we can. But once you finish that, then you got to come back and reapply the furring strips down to finish the new finished floor height, the drywall, the baseboard, the paint, and then you've got your final floor covering. So when people want it done, we tell them, look, all in, done correctly. You need to take the square footage of your sunken living room and figure it's going to cost about $30 a square foot to raise it up. So if you've got a 200 square foot living room, it's going to be about $6,000. Uh, and there aren't a lot of 200 square foot living rooms. Many of them tend to be bigger than that. So the number very easily can get north of ten, fifteen thousand $15,000. That surprises a lot of people. And back in the 60s, we only used to charge $800 to add them. <laughs> but that is one thing you can do to update your date at home. And if you haven't gotten rid, the second thing, if you haven't got rid of the fluorescent lighting in your kitchen, hey, I, I'm here to tell you, that's got to go. That has just got to go. It's one of those things that I, I'm surprised still exists. Like oh. how, how, I mean, you got your money's worth out of that. I, I will acknowledge that, and you're very thrifty, but I, I just can't imagine living with that that long. Oh, and now with the new generation of remodel recessed lights, they're so shallow. It doesn't matter if there's ductwork up there. It doesn't matter how the attic or the trusses are framed. These fit no matter where you want them to go and they are great light and they will greatly enhance and update your home get rid of the fluorescent lighting get these new led narrow shallow led lights in there and it will do a lot to upgrade the feel of your house and the look of your house if you're still running around looking for 60 watt uh, cool blue fluorescent tubes <laughs> get over it get over it so let's see uh we had fill in the sunken living room replace the fluorescent lights what else would be on that list of a home from the 60s go ahead and go ahead and replace the original toilets if you're still yeah. if you're still dealing with a six gallon flush uh old toilets because you've got the impression the new low flow low gallon consumption toilets don't work that was the true. first phase and the when they came on the market they they were awful but they they were awful you'd have to flush it nine ten times to get the yeah, job done it was it was legislated that no toilet could use over two gallons of flush which was about 60 percent less than conventional and it took us about a generation uh, of engineering to figure out how to how to be smart and to be as smart as the legislatures that that, that, <laughs> that put that in place because <laughs> invariably when those came out they all had to be flushed three or four times every single time and but when you take a look at when they do work and how much water it will save you 
I think this surprises a lot of people. With 7 million people in Arizona, we're using about the same amount of water as we were in the mid-50s with a million and a half people. Now, that's, Not- that's pretty incredible. And these new toilets are a big part of that. So, so what else would be on that five? Uh, carports? You know, it, that's one. One of the things when the blog was written is consider getting rid of the bright brass hardware oh, in yeah. your house. Oh, yeah. That um, was another awful idea. That was, that was the 70s, babe. <laughs> I remember going to someone's house. And <laughs> uh, very unfortunate for the man. He, he had lost his wife. And, but you could tell when they had decorated their home and nothing had changed. Yeah. And he had kept it this way for the last sure. 30 years. And, oh, Wait. oh, what were we thinking? Here's, <laughs> here's why we have a full-time writer on staff. This blog was written at the, be- the, uh, the end of the first quarter of 2020. Okay? Five things to do to upgrade your aging home. Well, now, in the fourth quarter of the same year, they tell me Bright Brass is coming back. (laughs) (laughs) No, it won't last. They tell me it's coming back. It won't last. So, you know, we're constantly updating our writing material, constantly. And then the other... It's hard to clean. Well, they're hard to clean, and, and historically, they've been very hard to maintain. And then if you've got hard water, no water softener, having bright brass on your plumbing fixtures is just... It won't last. A maintenance nightmare. And in your comment, Roland, me the other thing, we built a lot of carports in our Arizona ranch-style homes back in the 50s and 60s. And one of the things that could increase the value of your home and the livability of your home, if you're still in one of those carported ranch-style homes, is consider converting to a garage. But you know that's not as easy as it sounds. No, it's a lot more and. You can't, uh, well, we don't actually have time to go into all the details, but there's a lot of code things. In a lot of those situations, there's a window from the kitchen into the carport. That window has to go uh, because you're now parking your vehicle inside a closed area. And because of carbon monoxide from the gas and the fumes, you've got to have that sealed off from the house. You can't, uh, you know run into the situation that somebody would accidentally leave that window open so by code the window has to go and it has to be a one hour fire rated wall (laughs) in between that enclosed garage and the house so for all those reasons so those are the things you've got to stop to consider in your carport to garage conversion generally speaking uh you've got to lay your first uh layer of wall in a masonry block because you're below grade and you don't have the fall away. So you lay a 8816 block, you frame your wall above that, insulate it, put the garage door on it, make sure you've got the fire protection, the fire rating, automatic door, boom. Now you've got a level of security that greatly enhances the value and livability of your home. Wrapping up the Christmas weekend edition of Rosie on the House. We really appreciate y'all having tuned in today. We've been talking this past hour of those topics in this past year y'all have reached out to us the most. 
The one we haven't covered yet, we just finished talking about carport to garage conversions. Now that you have the garage. The very next question we get, how do I cool this sucker off? (laughs) And there's a lot of ways. And what we have recommended in the past is changing. They're still evap coolers. I don't think they make the slim wall anymore. Um, Adobe, I don't think they do either. So and I lived with a vap cooler on my garage for 15 years, and it worked very well for me and my dogs that live in the garage uh, in their own little kittle arrangement. But I use my tools a lot. And what I was hearing from people that were following my lead but didn't use their tools, that evap cooling in their garage created quite a bit of rust problems on a lot of their tools. So... I finally ended up following my air conditioners, technicians, experts, recommendations. Hey, Rosie, get rid of that cooler and go to a mini split, and I'll never look back, and I will never evap cool my garage again. It's the way to go. And a mini split is an air conditioning system that's very efficient and designed to cool small spaces. It's more expensive than a evap cooler to buy, but it's less to air con- it costs less to air condition your house with a mini split than it does to try and cool your garage with an evap cooler. And the technology for this, it kind of, it, it comes from the same place the tankless water heaters did. And it's, you know, Japan where they have a huge amount of population on an island. And the only place they really have to grow is up. So there's very tight quarters, very small spaces. And they were looking for a new way to cool. And that's where this technology developed from no room for ductwork in japan no <laughs> <laughs> no room for ductwork uh, the bunk beds there are stacked like coffins have you ever seen them Ooh, scary. Ooh. and uh let's see i think there's at least five if not seven very well-known manufacturers now making it when they first came out um a couple of them were brands we in America had never even heard of before. Yeah. So we had no idea, you know, where, how good they were, how long they were going to last. But there's, I think Mitsubishi is the main brand most of our partners install when it comes to mini splits. That seems to be the, the one I hear mentioned the most. Yeah, and, and Daikin is, is real popular as well. Um, but in cooling your garage, you have a couple options. Crack the garage door, which we don't recommend. Uh, Snakes love it in there. Uh, Pack rats love it in there. Uh, I like leaving my garage door completely closed. You can cut vents in an outside wall of your garage, uh, but don't put up ducts venting your garage into your attic. That violates the fire code regulation. You cannot have penetrations in your garage ceiling that go into the attic. Everything between your garage space and your attic must have a one-hour fire barrier. So then you've got the roll-around evap coolers uh, that are kind of handy and take the edge off, but it does introduce a lot of humidity. Uh, You can do some ceiling fans. Um, I have never seen fans in a garage. Ceiling fans? Yeah, I have. That's one I haven't seen. I've got, we've got one in our garage right over the exercise area. Hmm. And uh, when you go in there, that's kind of where my little gym is set up. And when I'm in there, I usually turn that fan on, get the air moving around. So ceiling fans. So there's several tricks to cooling your garage. But I'm not 
recommending of app cooling anymore. Uh, let's try and find another way to accomplish it. Uh, the other dilemma it causes is if you're air conditioning your house and you haven't thoroughly sealed your garage from your interior, the humidity seepage into the house is only going to make your air conditioner work harder and harder and harder. So there's all, those aren't all the things y'all reached out to us for in this past year, but certainly the most. And just know this, in 2021, we're going to be here for you again, answering your questions about home maintenance, home repair, or home remodeling, landscape outdoor living questions, and just a reminder, the calendars are in the hands of the Postal Service. They will get delivered. Um, we have sent them. We have paid for them to be sent. That's something we do as part of being, uh, you know, every Arizona homeowner's best friend. It's our annual home maintenance calendar. If you would like one, you just let us know the mailing address you would like it sent, and we send you one every year. And it gives you a preview, an idea of what we'll be talking about each month and each week. If you want to order or two or three and hand them out to your neighbors, family, or friends, yep, we'll yes, do we, that. Let we us do, know. We do have people that we send multiple calendars to, absolutely. So, Or you know, you know, a calendar at home or a calendar at work, or you've got a calendar on the fridge and a calendar in the garage. You know, We've seen it. So however you choose to use it, just so long as you use it, we'll send it to you. We've distributed 100,000 over the last four years. If you're already on that mailing list, though, you don't need to reach out again. It'll come. It'll, It'll come. come. We'll get it to you. So, in celebration of this Christmas weekend and this holiday season, we'd like to close the show by wishing you all the very most peaceful and blessed holiday family experience humanly possible from our family to your family.